the Swelty Podcast by Rx Sugar. That's sweet and healthy. Swelty. Awesome. Well, hey everybody, welcome back to the Swelty Sweet and Healthy Podcast. Here, John Campbell with you, as is Alexi Melvin. Alexi, say hello to the people. Hello, welcome back, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> and today we have Stacy Sims with us. She is an author. She is a podcaster, host of the Diabetes Connection podcast. She is a speaker and she is, of course, a diabetes mom. And she is joining us today to talk about, well, her and her book and her podcast and her life. So, Stacy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, John and Alexi. I'm excited to be here. This will be fun. This is this is going to be awesome. I don't even know where where to start. Uh, so much that you do. What I'm just going to ask: What's your favorite part of the things that you do? Is it speaking? Is it podcasting? Is it writing? Talk to me, Stacy. <laughs> Boy, I'm exhausted though hearing you <laughs> list all that stuff. It's like, oh, and I got to go to the grocery store later. Yeah, um, yeah I'm. I got to be honest with you. The the podcast is probably my favorite thing. I'm very lucky in that. I was that person who knew what they wanted to be when they grew up, when they were very young. And I wanted to be in broadcasting. Um, I worked in broadcasting for a very long time. I started the podcast kind of after I left the industry. And this is what I've always wanted to do. And what I've done since I was 19 years old is speaking to a microphone. So that's a pretty easy question to answer. Awesome. There you go. All right, Alexi, you come with something harder than that then. <laughs> mine was too. Mine was a softball. Absolutely. I mean, I'm a little starstruck here because Stacy is a huge deal in the type one community. I can vouch for that. Um, I mean, your podcast is out of control. Awesome. I'm, I'm curious when exactly you knew that that's what you wanted to bring to the community and, and why it was necessary. Yeah, well, it, it, I think like many people who start podcasts, we are podcast listeners. Right. We love the medium. We know what it can do. Audio. Audio is the best medium. I know you all have video here as well, which, you know, not my favorite. I don't even have lipstick on today. But audio is such an intimate medium. It's such a wonderful way to not only get information, but to feel like you're part of something. Right. When I listen to podcasts that have nothing to do with diabetes, I'm never going to meet those people probably, but I feel like I'm part of what's going on. I feel like I, I know them. It's fun. And for years before I started Diabetes Connections, I listened to diabetes podcasts. There are, there are a lot of diabetes podcasts, and there have been, you know, they come in, they come out, like most, like a lot of people with podcasting, they may not last forever, but they are great when they're around. So I was listening to many diabetes podcasts back in the early 2010s, you know, back when you had to kind of plug your iPod into your computer and download the shows. I mean, that's, I've been listening to podcasts for a long time and yeah. I loved what I was hearing, but I wasn't hearing exactly the show I wanted. It was a lot of great adults, mostly sharing personal stories, um, talking about community, um, really, uh, opening their their hearts and being very honest about the experience but there wasn't a news component they would have people on to interview them but they weren't i 
I'd be walking my dog or in my car and I'd be yelling at the radio, well, yelling at the podcast, right? You're like, I asked them this. They just said they'd follow up, you know, and that's my news background. I was a news reporter and anchor for many years and I, I wasn't hearing that kind of stuff. So I said, all right, that's the show I'm going to start. And while I tell a lot of personal stories, while I have people on who I call, you know, the everyday people just living with diabetes, my real love and my passion is talking to the the people who affect us, the, the tech companies, the insulin companies, you know, newsmakers, and asking them questions and kind of getting them to share things that, frankly, the the mainstream media, and I don't say that in a pejorative way, but the mainstream media is not asking them. And the reason they're not is because they're not interested in that kind of stuff, right? When you see diabetes on the news, it's one of two things. It's like, we're not sure about the difference between type 1 and type 2, and it's probably November, it's Diabetes Month, so we're sharing information. Or it's how much are you going to earn? It's a CNBC story with Dexcom talking about, you know, next quarter's earnings. They're not interested in, you know, a lot of people still have adhesive issues or, you know, are you still going to make the G4 and the G5 for people who still are holding on to their pump that interacts with it? You know, so it's not a nefarious reason. It's just that they don't have the interests that we do as a community. So that's a long way, Alexi. I was short with John's question and really long with yours. But that's why I started it. And that's why I've, I've kept going for so long, because that need hasn't gone away. And my curiosity hasn't gone away. Right. Absolutely. I feel like, and that goes for the whole community. Um, is, there, is there sort of a subset, you know, of the community you feel like you're trying to reach? Or do you feel like it's pretty the whole, the whole scope of, of the Type 1 community? You know, it's, when I started the show, I, I thought it would be more parents because that's who I am, right? I don't live with diabetes. Uh, my son has type 1. My husband has type 2. But I don't have that experience. My experience is that of a parent uh, and, a, and a spouse. So I thought, oh, more parents will listen. But I survey my audience every couple of years. And I was just going through the numbers. I did a survey earlier this year. And it's 60% people with type 1. And like 35% parents, and then the rest are healthcare providers and industry people. But I'm, I'm really fascinated by that. And I think the reason is because, um, and I, again, I can't speak for them because I'm not one of them, but I think, I think adults, you know, people who live with type 1 are looking for information. And I think parents of kids with type 1 are so busy that they're looking for reassurance. They just don't have the time, really. I mean, there's a lot of people who do. I mean, like I said, 30, 35% of my audience is parents. Um, but for the most part, and I, you know, I'm still in these days, you know, we're still trying to figure out the schedules and the food and the, you know, there's other kids and there's other things. So I think unless it's um, kind of more bite size or something that I can um, kind of do on my own time, which all podcasting is, but I think it's a longer time commitment, right? A lot of parents mm -hmm. may not have half an hour, 45 minutes even to take a walk by themselves and listen to the podcast. I've certainly sure. been there. Um, again, long way of answering, but that's, that's my thinking is I, I really thought it was going to go in one direction and it has gone in another. So Stacy, you, you bring up being a parent. I'm also a parent. I have, uh, I have five daughters. Um, and so I'm, I'm interested to hear your story as, as a mom with a son with type one diabetes. And, and that obviously led to your, to your book. Um, so I'd love to hear just some of the, 
some of the struggles, some of the successes, some of the joys, uh, you know, tell me a little bit about it. Sure. So my son was diagnosed right before he turned two back in 2006. Um, I also have a daughter. She's three years older. Okay. And so she was almost, she was, she had just turned five when he was diagnosed and it turned our world upside down, right? Like it does for everybody. Um, I was a health reporter and I knew nothing. I thought I knew something about diabetes, but I knew nothing. So we were very fortunate because as my role as a health reporter and then as a, um, as a radio show host, I was the MC for the annual JDRF golf tournament here in Charlotte. So I okay. knew people who had kids with type one and I was able to say to myself first, I know those families. I've seen those kids smile, right? I've seen those kids having fun. They're sure. okay. I think my kid's going to be okay. And I knew I could call them. So I had people that I could call and say, hey, remember me? Hey, I need your help. And that entry into the community, I have always said, in a, it was a positive, it wasn't a doomsday, terrible experience. He wasn't even in DKA. We caught it pretty early. Um, so we, we had a very soft landing into the diabetes community, which I think made a very big difference. Now, having a two-year-old with type 1 is a circus. Uh, you have five kids, you know, when they're toddlers, you're, it's like, why, without diabetes, right? So it was, a, it was a mess. But he doesn't really remember it, and we got through it. And, you know, he's 16. He's driving. He's a junior in high school. Wow. Um, he's doing really well. You know, none of my fears from that day in the hospital, that first night in the hospital, none of those fears came true. None of those fears held us back. Um, diabetes is a giant pain and it holds you back from doing certain things and it slows you down. But Benny, my son will tell you, it. he, he doesn't think it stopped him from big picture doing things, okay. right? We're not a family that says diabetes will never stop you. You can do anything. You know, that's not realistic. It has sure. stopped him from going to baseball practice. It has slowed him down when he's got a treat or when his inset's bloody or, you know, things happen. So that's not really our philosophy. Um, our philosophy is not perfect, but safe and happy. And that has really served us well. And then I'll bookend that and we can, I'm an open book, we can talk about anything. But I'll, I'll bookend that by saying he is 16. And this summer we had an enormous milestone, which is he went to Israel for a month with a regular Sleepaway camp, but not a diabetes program. So he's gone to this camp before for many years, you know, pre-COVID, certainly he didn't go last summer. But this year, that age group goes to Israel. And I told him we would make it happen. And we did. And I spent the month wanting to throw up. And I am not exaggerating. It was extremely difficult for me. It was fantastic for him. Fantastic. That's great. Yeah, that is. That's amazing. I, You know, I don't... I don't know what it's like to be a diabetes parent. I know what it's like to have diabetes, but I, I will say, you know, when I went across the country to live in New York for, you know, several years, my mom probably wanted to throw up the whole time. So, you know, I've, I'm, on, <laughs> I'm definitely on the other end of that. Um, but yeah, that is, that is amazing to hear that he's doing so well. Um, and yes, like, I, I like that you sort of call out that like, nothing's perfect. Things do set you back. Um, and, you know, that kind of brings me to your book, um, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about um, how and why that came about and why you wanted to sort of um, focus on the theme that you chose to focus on. 
<laughs> sure. Um, so I had blogged about our experience with type one way back when, and I, I really think three people read my blog because I'm, I'm actually pretty big on privacy. Um, I don't share a ton. I, I do not share his numbers specifically. You know, we really decided what and what not to share. Um, but I had a lot of blog posts about our experiences and I had worked with somebody on a different book, um, way back when, and, and they were trying to encourage me to do a diabetes parenting book by just putting the blog posts together. And I just kept resisting because there's a lot of really good books out there already. And I didn't feel like I had anything to add. I just felt like it would have been, you know, and then we went to school and then we did this. And, you know, this was an interesting day at the amusement park. It wasn't really any, any advice, any, anything new. And then, you know, over the last few years, my son was diagnosed before social media, before the iPhone, right? In the olden days that you both remember, <laughs> right? So we had in-person experiences with other people. I wasn't even on chat rooms. I know there were, there were chat rooms out there and things like that. But my experience of help and advice and support was in person. I was so fortunate to have that. And the point I'm making is it was, it was positive. It was supportive. It wasn't judgmental. And when social media exploded in the beginning of the diabetes online community, it was that way. It was very supportive. It was like, wow, I can't believe I'm finding you and I can't believe you get it. And the, But gradually, like a lot of social media, I found that it started turning into a lot of judgment, almost competition and a lot of like, you know, it was hard to it was hard to hang out in a diabetes parent Facebook group and feel good about your parenting. Because there was always somebody to tell you you were doing it wrong. Oh. And I, I do think still that social media is an incredibly supportive place. But you have to be very, very careful. Yeah. So, I'm in one of these Facebook groups. There's 25,000 people. I don't know these people. They don't know me, right? We all parent differently, <laughs> sure. even without diabetes. And a guy was telling me, he, he, I foolishly, I foolishly, addressed someone that I should not have, you know, he was, it was, a, it was a thread about independence and sleepovers. And, and at the end of the day, he told me I was going to harm my child, that I was, that the things I was doing was going to lead to, you know, I was going to kill my kid. Wow. And I just got so upset. And I said, well, I must be the world's worst diabetes mom. And I slammed the computer shut and I walked away and I was like, this is, and then I laughed because I was like, oh my gosh, this is the book. I want to help people realize that your children are not on the, you know, this knife's edge of danger. And if you leave them alone for soccer, they're not going to drop dead on the field. And if you let them go above 250 at a sleepover, their leg will not fall off. You know, I, I know it's, it's jarring to hear someone say things like that because we don't really talk like that in the diabetes right. parenting community. But I, I feel like... It's important to be blunt. It's important to use a little humor. And it's important to be honest and follow the research, the science, and the doctors who tell you these things, who can be honest about what the real outcomes are like for kids who have a 6.5 A1C their whole childhood, right? I mean, who would have thought that was even possible 15 years ago? So long story short, it was a mean guy on the internet, John and Alexi, <laughs> who said, who prompted the idea for the book. And I went back and I actually deleted the thread, which I kind of regret. I think I have a screenshot of it somewhere, but I felt so bad about it. Like, I wasn't nice in it. It doesn't reflect well on me. So I went ahead and deleted it. But that's how the book came about. And I've been so pleased with the reaction I've gotten because 
it's not the, the public facing parent diabetes philosophy is not don't worry about perfection just keep him safe and happy the what you see everywhere is my child we worked so hard hooray for that 5.8 a1c hooray for that 6.2 you know and it's going to be that way forever and why doesn't my child and then a few years later and we could talk about teenagers and stuff but you know why isn't it working anymore or what am i doing wrong or i'm failing my child um you know so Obviously, I can keep talking for a long time if you'll let me go. I'll, 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 we'll let you go all day, Stacey. We'll, we'll let you roll with this. Um, yeah, I, I kind of have a, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all, social media kind of rule. But not everybody does. And it's good to see that somebody's led to something good, even if they weren't <laughs> trying to. So that's that's good to hear. So, Stacey, let me ask you this. What is, within your book, what is your favorite story from the book? Oh, my gosh. Okay, my favorite story. My poor neighbor. My favorite story is all about my wonderful neighbor, Jackie. And okay. The story itself is about, Benny had a very bad low at school, and I wasn't there. Um, and how, we, how the school handled it. Um, so I'll, I'll tell it real quick um, in that. When I was working in radio, I worked for a decade at uh, WBT here in Charlotte, which is a news talk, and I did the morning show. So I was out of my house at 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning every day. I was just, that was my, I had to be at work, usually by 4. Um, we were on the air from 5 to 9. And my husband owned and operated a restaurant. Um, so he was never home at night. It was just crazy. But there were some times when he had to travel. And what are you going to do for a babysitter? I used to have, I used to have sitters kind of stay at the house, you know, come over the night before. But my neighbor, Jackie, who has uh, two adult children with type one, they were diagnosed as young adults. Uh, she offered to babysit and she just like, she's like, I'll walk down the street at four o'clock in the morning. You know, what do I care? She lived two houses down. So she was great. We used her a lot and she's a lifelong friend, just fabulous. So Benny was, I don't know, seven or eight years old and becoming more proficient in using his technology and really wanting to, you know, I'm going to, I don't know if you've, Alexi, if you've come across this in the community, but I think there's this golden age between like five and 11 when they're diabetes superstars and they want to do everything and they're going to lead the JDRF walk and they're going to cut the ribbon and, you know, woohoo, I'm going to show everybody at school and stand up at assembly. You know, there's this totally. like golden age and right. And that's what Benny was in. So he wanted to load the cartridge into his pump and he knew how to do it, but he had never done it without us around. And he was like, Miss Jackie knows what to do. Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. So I wrote the instructions out, even though he knew how to do it for her to follow along. And of course I said, you know, remove the pump from your body before you prime 12 units, 15 units through the pump. And by telling you that part of the story, you already know where the story ends. So, he got to school the next day and he did it in the morning before school. You know, everything was fine. Yeah. They drove to school and he got out of the car and said, I don't feel so well. So Jackie parked and walked in with him. Um, and he said, I really don't feel well and sat down in the hallway. So she checked his blood sugar and, you know, he was like 70 and she gave him his juice box and they waited 10 minutes and she checked him again and he was 40. You know, so she's like, well, that didn't work. So they went to the cafeteria and ate for like an hour. They just kept eating food. And during this second check, she called me. Now, I was 45 minutes away doing a remote broadcast. So I wasn't even in the studio. And my co-host was off that day. So I'm at Panera Bread in South Park, Charlotte, 
And I'm like, hey, listener Jack, it's great to see you today. You know, where are you from? How long have you listened? And then off the air, I'm like, okay, wait. All right, so Benny, what's going on with you? So I'm trying to like juggle all this stuff. And it was crazy, but I knew he was in good hands. And my producer said, do you want to leave? And I, you know, I could have. They would have figured it out. It's live radio. Somebody's going to help out. My job was not in jeopardy. It was fine. And I said, no. By the time I get there, this is going to be resolved. He's in good hands. He's fine. I'm not sure if the nurse was at school that day. We don't have a full-time nurse for that elementary school. But I knew that they would handle it. And sure enough, I figured he'd be 400, right, by the time everything was said and done. (laughs) By the time he finished eating and went, and he felt great. He went to class. And Jackie oh, wow. said, should I stay? And I'm like, no, you're fine. What you? That's, well, that, Alexi, that's being eight years old, right? I mean, yeah. uh, yeah. <laughs> that's not bouncy bounce back like that. And she's, I said, no, you don't have to stay. Everybody knows to keep an eye on him. And he's fine. And he was fine. Now, of course, he was a little tired that afternoon. But he really, I mean, truly, you wouldn't know any different. And he didn't go above, I don't think he went above 150. So he was really low. He basically did pump about 12 units into his body. And he probably weighed about, I don't know, what does an eight-year-old weigh? 55 pounds? Right. (laughs) 60 pounds? You know, so it was an interesting day. Long story to tell you that, you know, I, I, I included it in the book because it's kind of funny especially once you know there's a happy ending. My poor neighbor, you know, was mortified. She feels like she, you know, it's all all her fault, all her fault. Um, But it was also a really good lesson to me that, you know, I have systems in place to keep him safe. And those systems do not mean that bad things will not happen. It means that things will happen and there will be people there to help make sure that the outcome is good. And that's a big difference. You know, you cannot... To me, you can't have your kid have a fulfilling childhood that teaches about confidence and independence and keep them home wrapped in bubble wrap as much as I would like to. Sure. Because, <laughs> John, I don't know about you, but my goal is for my children to leave me. Yes. Right? Grow up and go yes. live your next adventure. I'm here if you want to visit, but bye-bye. And <laughs> Absolutely. You, Spread your wings and fly, please. Right? You can't get there if you protect them yeah. in a way that keeps them restricted. Yeah. I'm trying to protect him in a way that lets him make those kinds of mistakes, you know, and he's never made that mistake again. <laughs> there you go. So what's, what's a story that, that ended up on the cutting room floor? What's a, what's a, another good story that didn't make the book oh. that people can listen to from you now? Oh my gosh. We have so many stories. <laughs> I'll bet. I think, well, you know, we, st- I stopped the book um, right around middle school age. Okay. Um, there's, a, I think there's one story in there from eighth grade, maybe, but at the time of the book, he was in seventh or eighth grade and I didn't feel, I felt like I, you know, I, I could really talk well about preschool and elementary school, but middle school, high school, he's a junior now, uh, I really felt was not something that I could share a lot about because we weren't really through it yet. You know, so one of the things that I don't talk a lot about in the book, and I'm kind of vague on purpose is sports. Okay. Because true confession, we stink. We are terrible <laughs> at figuring out sports. And I have, you know, Alexi, you see these amazing people, these athletes in the community who are like, you know, I've got it under control and here's my routine. And even the parents of high school, you know, and, and some collegiate athletes who are like, we've got this down. And, you know, I, I know like a mom who made a thing for a football uniform so that the padding wouldn't squish the decks. I'm like, I, my kid changed sports so many times that... By the time we thought we got one, we didn't, we didn't got one. So 
um, he is wrestling right now, which yeah. is a hard sport for a parent yeah. to watch. Ugh. Kind of gross, to be honest with you. I'm just like <laughs> grappling, and you know, and I'm like, oh my god, this, you know, don't hurt him. But I didn't include. I included some funny stories about, you know, lows during sports, and how, there's nothing funny about lows, but you know how we managed sure. it, how I wanted to run onto the field, and that sort of thing. But which I never did. Good for me. Nice. But I don't think I really got across how difficult I feel that sports are. Mm-hmm. And I think any activity, and I'll put in, and I'll I'll put under sports. I'll put in um, public speaking. If your kid is in debate club, I'll put in um, uh, performances, acting, marching band, you know, sure. singing. All of these things are athletic, if you want to categorize it like that. When it comes to type Absolutely. one diabetes and managing insulin and blood sugar, and I I couldn't really find a way to give more specific advice. There's a lot of specific advice in the book. But I couldn't really find a way to say, you know, we did it and here's how it's done. It's super tricky and it's also very individualized. But I think it's important to acknowledge whatever activity your child is doing, because I think a lot of people underestimate performing arts. You know, that's very athletic and your brain is using a lot of glucose, too, if you're in a band or on stage. So I, I really couldn't get my brain around a lot of our stories, but maybe for the next one. So there you go. That there's my question, Stacy. So does that mean there'll be a next one? Yeah. Um, I've actually been toying with the idea. I have two big ideas for the next one. Um, but I think the one, one is a more of a community feel because everybody wants to tell me their story, right? Here are my mistakes. Cause the, the theme of the book is all about, I made a mistake and that's good. And here's what I learned from it, right? Make more sure. mistakes. So a lot of people say, here's my story. So I've been kind of collecting those. But what I think I'm going to do is this year and last year, I got more questions about our way of managing caregivers and managing sleep boy camp. And, you know, how did you do that? How did you do this? Um, and I think I'm going to put more of a world's worst diabetes mom, the guide to, you know, life, the universe and everything. I mean, it won't be called that, obviously. But... Um, more of specific advice for specific um, situations. Because the more distance I get from those things, the more confident I feel about helping other people manage them. Knowing that as parents, again, we manage everything in our own way, regardless of diabetes. Like when it comes to sleepovers, I always start with, if you do not like sleepovers for your children, for all your children, not just your type ones, don't do them. Don't feel, you know, there's a lot of pressure. Sure. Don't do them. If it's about diabetes, then we can help. So that kind of thing. So I think that's the next one. I just started working on it. So we may have an announcement, you know, in a couple of uh, months that's more official. But this is the first time I'm talking about that. So very cool. Breaking news, as they say. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Um, so you, you mentioned, um, you know, different people telling you their stories. You mentioned these sort of inspiring athletes and things like that. Um, I, I've been sitting here wondering if there have been, you know, specific guests that you've had on your podcast that stick out in your mind, not to play favorites, but if there are any like crazy, crazy moments, crazy guests, you know, things that have happened that you, uh, remember specifically. Yeah. Well, there's two that really come to mind, and one is more dramatic. So I'll start with that one. Um, you know, I, I don't feel like 
any individual voice is going to make a difference when it comes to insulin pricing, right? But I do feel as though the community is starting to make a difference. And I, I was really... I was really taken aback. So last, gosh, it was spring of 2020 when um, folks from Lilly had a conference call. And they do this quite often. A lot of these companies will have conference calls where you can listen in. They, do, they talk about earnings or they take questions from the community. And um, I've started recording them because um, sometimes things will happen that are newsworthy or sometimes things will happen when I think, did they really say that? You know, so I've, I start recording a lot of the calls that I'm on and I get permission, I tell them. It's also really not up to them because North Carolina is a one-party call state, which means I just have to acknowledge that the call is happening. I have to know. So it, it's, it's an interesting legal lawyers out there don't at me. I, I think <laughs> I'm right. Anyway, long... Uh, so in the spring of 2020, Lily was talking to us about how they had this new assistance program and COVID and everything. And I said to the guy, I said, why not be a hero? Why not be the one that knocks the price down right now? Just change the list price. You can obviously do it to $30. Do it. Why not be a hero? Be the one company that steps ahead. And he gave me some nonsense answer like they always do. But I was so, and we put that one out. I put that out as an episode. And then we followed up and we've had conversations since. And like I said, I don't think anybody's going to make a, the difference. But a little while later, they did come out with a coupon for $30. And I think it was partially, right? That's something they had to have planned. Those things don't spin on a dime. But that quote and that, that comment got picked up a lot and got pushed out. And the coupon, the coupon program is not sustainable, Right. We all know that it's this this stuff is garbage. Right. So, uh, you know, hopefully that will be one tiny little piece that ultimately was with many other pieces to make a difference. But I was really excited about that, that I got to at least I got to say that to somebody. I got to talk to somebody who mattered and say, you are doing this wrong. Step it up. Let's go and be positive about it. Like you don't you're the villain right now in all these stories. Be the hero. How hard would that be? So that was really fun for me. And then this is my favorite guest and he'll laugh. You know, we talked to, I talked to, like you said, athletes, you know, Mark Andrews and Victor Garber, the, the actor and, you know, lots of people who um, are, are wonderful motivators in our community. But my sure. favorite guests are the adults, younger adults or older adults, doesn't matter, but people with type one who are open and honest about their experiences as teens and college students and young adults. The time when they basically were just doing it horribly, right? And they're honest about it. And so I'll give you an example, and it's Ernie Prado. He's a NASA rocket scientist. Truly, you know, he's, he's a rocket scientist with type 1. And he shared it when he was in college, you know, he was barely checking his blood sugar. He never stopped giving himself insulin. But he was not in a quote-unquote good place, right? And then he went to work at NASA. He still got the job. He still graduated college. He did great. But he missed out on an opportunity to do something because his A1C was too high. It was a health issue for something that they were putting astronauts through, and some of the engineers and staff got to do it too for fun. And he didn't get to do it because it was not advised. Now, luckily, he got that was a wake-up call for him. And he was able to kind of change things up and, and get in better health. And he was able to do that down the road to the opportunity. But it might sound like a little thing, like who cares that this guy didn't take care of himself in college. But it was so relieving to me to know that, you know, 
when you share a story like that about being a human being, you know, diabetes is relentless. And when you share a story about, you know, I messed up or gosh, my parents were so worried or, you know, it kind of gives hope to those of us who do not have that perfection in our households. And to know that I got through it, it wasn't great, I'm okay. I think that that is one of the most important messages that I can provide for my listeners. So I hope somebody else was as inspired. The other little thing I'll share is, selfishly, I kind of hope that in the long term, I mean, I don't know how much longer I'll be doing the show, right? Who knows? But it's been six years. And I, I kind of hope that selfishly, when people look back at the history of diabetes in the early 21st century, that they may look at the show and say, wow, look at how interesting it was as the DIY community, you know, became part of the commercial community, how people went from adopting CGMs to, you know, automated insulin delivery systems, how this happened, that happened. You know, I, I think it will be an interesting slice of history. That's kind of what I'm hoping, but that might be kind of arrogant. We'll see. Absolutely. No, no arrogance detected. <laughs> so Stacey, I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask you this one. What, if you could give one piece of advice to parents of, of children with, with diabetes or just parents in general, what would be the one thing, what would be the one thing you'd drop on us knowledge wise? <laughs> Gosh, it's so hard. I mean, I would say, Respect diabetes, right? Learn about it. Understand it. Do not fear it. If you, well, I'll edit that as we go. What I mean by that is you can't help but fear it, right? As a parent, especially, maybe as a person with type one as well. So respect that fear. Don't let that fear run your life. Don't let that fear dictate your decision-making. I think it's important to acknowledge that it's there. I mean, I, I have a lot of fears for my son and they're not that, okay, right before we started recording, he had an urgent low. My fear was not that something terrible is going to happen to him today because of that urgent low, right? My fear is that he won't be able to participate in something at the moment, right? He'll miss something, he'll miss an opportunity, he'll be left out, he'll feel different. He, he won't let himself do something because of the fear that he might go low. And I think you have to respect that fear about diabetes, but you cannot let it run your life or your child's life. Sometimes, like with this summer, you have to say, I'm just going to worry. I know I'm worried, but I have given him all of the safety I can. I've entrusted his care to these other people, and I've got to take, I've got to let him go. And that, that thinking changes as they get older. Right. When he's two, I'm not going to say here, non-diabetes people, see what you, you know, go have fun. Right. You know, and I wouldn't do it when he was seven. But as he gets older and things change. So I know I, I probably should have a pat answer ready for that, John, after all these years. Yeah. But it does change. I think I would I'm have sure. changed it a couple of years ago, too. So I started out saying don't have that fear. And that's ridiculous. You're going to have the fear. Yeah. Just try to respect it and do what you can and don't let it hold you, hold you back as a parent. Absolutely. And, and I have to ask, how has all of this impacted your daughter? Yeah, what a great question. Um, it, she'll tell you, it sucks. 
Um, she's, you know, I know a lot of families where the siblings are like, you know, I'm going to walk for you and I love you and I'm going to bring you a juice box. And, you know, uh, my daughter, it's kind of like bringing home a newborn baby. She was super helpful for the first month or so. And then she was like, when are we getting rid of this stupid diabetes thing? You know, and I was like, yeah, me (laughs) too, kid. Um, it was, it was difficult, especially with my husband working nights. So at bedtime, you know, we were trying to have our routine, but half the time he was beeping or something. And I'd be like, here, read a book, Leah, I'll be right back. You know, and then I'd have to take care of him. And so what helped me a lot, and I had Leah on the podcast a couple of years ago, and, and she acknowledged that this helped. We were very honest about it. And we would say, yeah, he's getting more attention than you. Yeah, this stinks. I'm really sorry that I can't be there for you right now. Um, yeah, diabetes, we all wish diabetes would go away. This is hard, and you're doing a great job. We didn't try to sugarcoat it. Uh, We didn't say things like, no, no, everything's fine, or you're just imagining that, you know. Um, But what we did try to do was give her time with us alone. So I would take her away for a weekend, or when she went to camp and he was too little, we would have a girl's time, and, you know, I would take her by myself. Um, We would do things, you know, if it was back to school night and we were all going, then my husband would be in charge of diabetes for the night so I could be with her. Sure. You know, things like that. We would really try. But it doesn't – it's such a difficult situation for siblings, John, and I think that not enough attention is paid because especially if the child is older and knows about life before type 1 came along. Sure. Um, it's, it's very difficult that way for them. But she's 19, and you know she said to me recently – we were, we were laughing because something happened with him and I had to help him. And she was like, I can't believe I still feel this way. I cannot <laughs> believe that this is still going on. She's like, it's not fair to you. And I'm like, complain away. It's right. fine with me. Yeah. I don't like it either. You know, so it's tough. And she is, um, we, we felt that it was important to talk about their responsibilities to one another as siblings and not as the kid with type one. An example is when he rode the school bus. Yeah. He was in kindergarten and she was in fourth grade. And I didn't have a lot of, I don't know, I wasn't that nervous about it. I mean, he wasn't, he was already, he already had diabetes for four years by the time he went to kindergarten. Sure. But I said to the two of them, you have to look out for each other because you're brother and sister. Right. Right. Not because, hey, you have to look out for him because he has type one. Like right. if she's got an issue, I want to know too. And I think that helped a lot as well. Yeah. Even though she knew that we were like, hey, if he looks low, give him a juice box. You know, she knew what yeah. we were saying. But he right. also was like, I've got to help my sister. Yeah. You know, if it's, I don't know, if she loses something on the bus or somebody's picking on her, I better speak up. And that right. helped. But man, I don't know. Siblings of kids with type one, that just stinks. It's so hard. Yeah, it's got to be. Yeah. She, she, needs so her own book. She, needs, she needs her own book, right? Yeah. Right? <laughs> that could be a whole opportunity there. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. That's funny. Awesome. Well, Stacy, this is this has been sensational. I mean, your your stories and and your candor and your honesty and and your humor and in, in not trying to force perfection. Um and and like you talked about leaning into and respecting the fear. Um I think that's what makes you probably one of the best diabetes moms out there, despite the title of the book. Um, and I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm amazed by it because I, I, you know, sit here as a dad with a, a whole bunch of kids. Um, and to think of, of 
what you must go through and the, and the way your life changes and, and what it does to your daughter and siblings and, and all of that and, and the balance and the navigation of that. Um, I must say, I'm just, uh, I'm beyond impressed, uh, Stacy, to say the least. So I will, I will say one thing um, that will make you laugh, I think, is that one thing I'm terrible at, and it's not like a fake world's worst diabetes thing, is every couple of years we try low-carb bacon. Okay. We try, because I feel like this is one area. We don't eat low-carb. You know, again, that's something everybody's got to decide for themselves, right? Sure. That's your whole way yes. of eating is up to you and your family. And as long as yep. you're not making your T1D kid eat differently than everybody else, right? Oh, if your family eats low-carb, great. If your family is vegetarian, if you're but keto, whatever. As long as your whole family is doing, I got no issue. Mm-hmm. But I always, I always feel like we should try low-carb baking because I have friends who have so much success. And it always comes out like wet and disgusting and terrible and the muffins and the blah. And I, I know that when you asked me to come on the podcast, you said this is not about RX Sugar. This is not about the product. But I have to tell you, the only success I've ever had with any decent baking that you know doesn't spike my son's blood sugar is not with the low carb because I'm, I'm not kidding. These muffins always come out wet. I don't know. I'm doing it wrong. Is with the RX Sugar as a substitute. And we love, we make peanut butter cookies and we've made homemade muffins and it is wonderful. I don't take sugar in my coffee, so I can't review you on that. Fair. My, my daughter takes sugar in her coffee, but she refuses to use any substitute. <laughs> but I should send you, I should post a photo sometime of my peanut butter cookies because they are yeah. fabulous. Well, so that's thank awesome. Thank you for that. I really Absolutely. It. And you make me feel less guilty about the no low carb. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I mean, that's, that's, that's why we started the company. That's, that's why, you know, we started to try to make the world a little swellfier, right? <laughs> uh, and, and we, my, my daughters and, and wife are, are very into baking and, and they bake stuff all the time uh, with it. I mean, from cookies to breads and they make mousses and tiramisus and all sorts of stuff. So, uh, you know, it, it, it does. It works really, really beautifully um, replacing that traditional cane sugar. So it's awesome. Um, so thanks for that, Stacey. Uh, I appreciate that. Um, well, you know, and- my previous book that I had alluded to, when I said that the people that helped me in my previous book was called I Can't Cook, But I Know Someone Who Can. Right. So I will not be making any mousses. But <laughs> Fair enough. I appreciate the tip. <laughs> but maybe you know someone who can, apparently. Yes. So that's good. <laughs> that's good. Awesome. Well, I mean, I, again, I just want to say thank you for joining us and, and spending the time with us today and, and sharing your stories and, and all that you've done and, and wish you the best of success on the new book, that is unofficial new book that may be official soon. We'll have to keep our eyes uh, eyes and ears peeled about that. Um, but yeah, thank you so much, Stacey. We really, this has just been wonderful. Thank you so much. It's a little weird to be on the other side of the microphone, but you made it easy. <laughs> I, I hope we did okay. I hope you weren't sitting there thinking, like you alluded to earlier, oh man, they should have asked that follow-up question. Uh, I, hope, I hope we did We did okay. You know, it's, it's a lot going up against a, a real broadcaster. I mean, it's, it's nerve-wracking. It really is. It was wonderful. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks so much, Stacey. The Swelthy Podcast by RX Sugar. That's sweet and healthy. Swelthy. Swelthy.